Directionally Correct, a P-Learning's podcast with Cole and Scott. Today's guest, Dr. Mike Dodd. Anyway, let's do cut that part <laughs> out of the podcast. I really love what like Mike brought up about like we need some names for a post. And like I think one of Mike's superpowers is attaching names to groups or what have you. Guys, so, I've spent so give an, it, give embarrassing, an embarrassing amount of time thinking about what you should call your <laughs> fan base. Oh, uh, he, like okay, I, I've got some ideas, but uh, hit hit me with some. Like, well, runs, I mean, runs it, past me. Here's the thing: every great podcast has a name for its fan base, right? Fantasy Footballers, number one sports podcast. They have the Foot Clan, the okay. Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard, Armchairies, right? Popcast, one of the one of the biggest popcat or pop culture podcasts out there. And they are best friends of the show, B Fots. All right, so what what's the name for the fans? Of this show and that's a tough one you know i started i started i think it's a swing and a miss but directies you know direct it's just not that's not okay it's not gonna work that was okay. my first that was my first draft but then i <laughs> then i started rooming into some other ones maybe like correlates you know that was one i was like oh that's like ooh, medium ooh, hot okay medium hot but what you know outliers is kind of one i was thinking that might that might be might be the one but you know you you can't just let one person decide this it's got to be a little bit of a grassroots thing. Yeah, I think like once we get like our own Reddit channel of following, maybe they can kind of decide for themselves or something. I don't know. I was thinking like DCs. Oh, DCs, I like that. Yeah. Directionalities. I, I had I'm, some I'm not, people not getting a response the, there. I had some people at the conference I was at calling us correctionally direct <laughs> instead of directionally correct. So I was like, all right, that could work. I like CDs that. instead of DCs. CDs. I mean, like, CDs. Okay. I don't know. I, I love that the name of this podcast gives us so much cover in so many realms. It's like, you know, yeah, we're just talking, but Man, you know, maybe we get it right. Maybe we don't. Maybe it works out. Yeah. As long as it's directionally correct, <laughs> we're fine. Oh, man. Well, hey, Scott, who are we talking to today? This is uh, Dr. Mike Knott. It's hard for me to say that. We were in the same cohort at Louisiana Tech. What's up, Mike? What's up, man? Good to see you. It's been a while. So good to see you, too. How the Aggies doing this year? So I'm sorry. Why walk into walk into bad news? I shouldn't have. I should have worn this shirt. It, you know, for the listeners, I'm wearing an Aggie shirt as I do most days, um, and and it's it's not it's not going well. It's not going well. We were we were top ten. We got upset by an unranked team. <laughs> they were riots in the streets of Boone, uh, Boone, North Carolina, or wherever <laughs> wherever Appalachian State is. Um, and game day is there this weekend. So you know, a little bit of a twist of the knife there. Uh, oh, so it's not God. it's not pretty. It's not I'm pretty. sorry. I, I should not have brought that up. I should not have brought that up. No, no curve it around, though. You got top 10 class, top top one class. Yeah, well, that's It'll my come nightmare. Around eventually. That's my nightmare. There's a lot of things that could go wrong, Scott, and I've, I've seen it all happen. And <laughs> you should you don't want me to go there. This is a this is an uplifting podcast. You don't want me to depress your listeners. You're talking to a Texas fan. I, I, I've seen my share of uh, pain in the past 10 years. Totally. <laughs> Yeah. Well, from from what I understand, that there's riots in the streets in Boone most Saturdays anyway. <laughs> so this may have just been a normal Saturday in Boone. Couches do not survive. 
<laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Well, hey, for the guests, real quick, I want to give you the 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 credibility here, Mike. Uh, so, Mike is a the principal consultant in advance uh, on a, the advanced talent analytics team at Medtronic, and um, he's got a PhD in I/O, like we mentioned, masters in counseling, and a BA in psychology. And his specialization and passion focus on working with people with disabilities and and disability analytics, which I, I'm hoping we can kind of get into today. Mike, I really do appreciate you joining us. Yeah, no problem, Cole. I hope we get into it too, man. I'm, I wasn't planning on just talking about Texas A&M all day, so. <laughs> yeah, you guys are really bringing down the mood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Mike, maybe can you tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe your background? I mean, feel free, personal, professional, anything that you think would be interesting to share with our listeners? Yeah, yeah. Let me let me talk to you a little bit about uh, my personal background and how I kind of got into this line of work and the path I took. It, it's not going to be long, I promise, but I'm going to start when I was born. <laughs> I was <laughs> the I, universe so, began. <laughs> I was a twinkle in my father's eye. Um, <laughs> so before I was born, uh, there were some complications. I was born with a congenital spinal abnormality. And um, the doctors actually told my parents that I wouldn't walk. Uh, and so, you know, <laughs> jokes on them. I was able to do that. But um, we, uh, we had my, or I had my first surgery about two weeks after I was born, a spinal fusion. Um, also some club feet. I don't know if that's like the, the modern um, medical term for, for that, but uh, I had that too. So they did some corrective surgeries there. And so in total, I mean, we're talking a, a tally of maybe like 15 to 20 surgeries uh, before I was like 18 years old, uh, just mm. for various things like spinal fusions and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm, I, uh, my disability journey began very, very early when I was, when I was young. Um, you, you sent us this, uh, x-ray. I've known you for a long time. I've never seen this before. This is absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. You see that hardware, man. That's all yeah. titanium, nothing but the finest for Mike. Nothing you, but the you, and, you and the Wolverine, right? Just... Yeah, man. Well, that's adamantium. I don't want to get technical on you, but um, it's a little different. It's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Our, I, don't, I don't know why that's so funny. Uh, um, our our uh, correctionally directs will be like really confused. Yeah, or, or will they will they understand what I'm talking about? They'll, the they'll probably get it. Yeah. And then, you know, we can go to the difference of vibranium, manamanium, titanium. <laughs> we don't need to do that right now. Um, vibranium, that's a, that's a, mar what was it? What is that? that it's that's a, a, yeah, that's, it's a Marvel uh, comic metal. It's uh no, it's a Black Panther, isn't it? Yeah. 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 See, I know my stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Big brain on coal, man. There you go. And Captain America's shield is also made of vibranium. Well, I learned something today. Thank mm -hmm. you for that. No can, we, can we share this uh, x-ray photo? Yeah, absolutely, man. Go for it. I'm super open. You know, it took me a while to kind of accept that part of my identity. I'll be honest with you. I grew up, yeah. I did not want to face that. I didn't want to consider, you know, I would, I would try and do things um, just because people said that I couldn't do them, right? Like I, I was refused to accept that part of me. And so it took uh, probably until a few years ago for, for me to really embrace that part of my identity. Um, which kind of brings me to uh, a point I, I kind of like to share, you know, disability is not a monolith, right? Like there's, there's a lot of variance when you think of 
what a disability is invisible, visible, if you want to say apparent, non apparent. Mm-hmm. And then, so there's like that within or that between uh, group differences, but there's also that like within person difference. And how I was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, in, all, in relate, relation to all this, very different than how I look at it now. You know, I like to think I'm, I have a lot healthier of a perspective. Uh, so, so yeah, there's, uh, there's been a little bit of an evolution there for me personally. How so? How, what, what has been the evolution from your own perspective and what you've seen, say, in the people in the community? So one, so for me, so let me, let me go first with me personally. Um, you know, like I said, I think it's, it's just accepting that part of me, right? Um, yeah. I, I, th- I grew up in a place where, um, you know, disability was, uh, it was not really addressed. It was kind of looked at as there was a stigma to it, right? And so it, that, I, you know, as a kid, you just want to fit in, right? You want to you oh, be the same as everybody else. And so that was, that was kind of rough, especially because I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I grew up in the United Arab Emirates um, and spent uh, eight years over there, graduated high school over there. And the, U- the U.S. is very, uh, I would say, progressive in how they uh, treat these people with disabilities when you look at like a global scale. Uh, we have the ADA, the, the uh, um, you know, <clears throat> Americans with Disabilities Act, and, and that's a great piece of federal legislation that protects a lot of things that other countries don't protect um, for people with disabilities. And so, you know, I had surgery over in Dubai on one of my legs and there were no elevators or wheelchair ramps at my school. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, wow. you know, yeah, so I, I was uh, in a wheelchair. I used a wheelchair for a few weeks to kind of recover from this. Um, super painful. They had to like break my leg and like twist it. It's super gross. I won't go into the details, but um, my friends, literally had to carry me up and down the stairs um and they were awesome they loved it right it was uh um these thank two god guys do you have a good personality and friends yeah. Yeah. Jeez. they got them five two <laughs> and like one 120 pounds you know what i mean like it yeah. could have been a lot worse but um you know that that stuff that stuff like rarely would happen in the u.s right like i mean i'm sure it happens some places but it, it would rarely happen in us just um, the need to have this sort of social support to get yeah. around yeah exactly like if i if i was just a guy like working an adult working with a like a lack of social connection that would have been really rough that would have been mm-hmm. really rough um and and so you know it wasn't it was by no means perfect but it taught me a lot and you know you just when it's stigma like that when you have to when you have to ask for help that can be tough sometimes it was tough for me i was never one that admitted that needed help um, and so one day, uh, as I had met more people with disabilities and I had been more comfortable with that, I began to accept, um, accept that part of me. I also kind of looked at it like, hey, you know, I, I can walk. I don't really deserve to be called someone with a disability, right? Like, I, there's people off worse than me. Um, and that's also not a healthy attitude to have, right? Because there are some things that yeah. I have to do differently. And if I don't, if I do think about that, then... Um, then it's just gonna it's gonna trip me up. So like I drive a car differently than other folks do. Um, I have to sit on like a, a pillow in the car. I've had to request accommodations at work. We can talk about that. Um, so that's kind of how I've evolved. And you're talking uh, about it. the like formal, yeah, um, oh yeah, formal. accommodation mm-hmm. request processes, right? Yep. I've had to do it once, and uh, we uh, it was 
you know, for someone who studies this, I wrote my dissertation on, on uh, people with disabilities and their experience in the workplace. And it was one of the most uncomfortable, awkward, like requests I've ever made. Yet everyone would, at my company was incredibly supportive. This wasn't uh, at Medtronic. I haven't had a request accommodation at Medtronic, but I'm at my previous company. I did, and, and they were great. By the way, I'm an employee at Medtronic. All my all my opinions are my own. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, we try to we try to keep it keep it kosher, you know. <laughs> yeah. So people keep their jobs after the podcast. There you go. I like that approach. Um, and then so your the second part of that question, Sky, you asked was around how has the field kind of uh, taken up on this? And, you know, I think, um, I think that we've made a lot of progress in the last few years, uh, but there's still a lot of work to be done. I mean, if you think about DE&I, it's only been around really for like, what, 15, 20 years? I mean, mm -hmm. we're not Even during that time, it's changed names a whole bunch of times too. Right, you know? right. And like, did they, were, were, were they really paying attention to it until recently? A lot of companies. So um, I think we're, we're making progress in that. I think that uh, there are some stuff that is still uh, left to be desired. Um, you know, people with disabilities make up 20% of the U.S. population, according to the, like the most recent census data. Uh, like about 13% of that is uh, people with mobility issues, things like that. So like you have a lot of um, invisible disabilities that go that come under that umbrella. Um, so it's a lot of folks that you wouldn't know had a uh, disability, such as like diabetes or um, anxiety, depression, that kind of thing. Is um, there an is there an academic definition of disability? There, you know, I, I think it varies. Uh, but like usually when I um, the like the the government kind yeah. of definition that I've heard is when one or more major life activities uh, requires an accommodation. Gotcha. Um, and you know what is it? What is a major life activity, right? Like, what does that mean? Does that mean like, um, does that mean you have to wear glasses when you drive, right? Like, is that does that you know? And and under the ADA, in a lot of cases, yeah, I mean that would be um, that would be that could be considered disability. And I think too, a lot of not a lot of people would identify as having a disability with that. But like, if you get into a significant visual impairment, then you know more folks would and there might be more accommodations required. Um, I've kind of got a random question about that, Mike, if you don't yeah. mind, um, because I've, I've done a lot of work in my career kind of in this space of, you know, I've heard that statistic before, like, you know, around 20% of Americans have some form of disability. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we've been working on at organizations, how do you report out on that accurately? And one of the things that we always run into is, you know, people either through ignorance or just not wanting to, aren't wanting, aren't reporting their disabilities and therefore it's being severely undercounted. Yeah. How, how, like, have you encountered this in the past and like, what, what have you done at different organizations or what are the organizations you've worked for done to, you know, maybe be more effective in this space? Cause I've, I've really struggled with it. I don't really know how to, you know, improve those numbers. Yeah. Um, I think, I think high tide raises all boats, right? It's that core fundamental practices of inclusivity and, and DEI that can that can create a culture where there's psychological safety and you can have that ability to uh, to disclose. But you know, I, I'm kind of privileged in a sense um, because there's kind of two different uh, ways to disclose. It's like acknowledgement versus disclosure. Uh, and 
there's a lot of research on invisible and visible disabilities, but I just kind of have to acknowledge it, right? Like people, when they meet me, they can kind of tell I've got a gait issue. I'm a, I'm a lot shorter than the average uh, male in America. So, you know, there's, um, there's, there's just like a, a visible component to it. Whereas someone who has an invisible disability, like maybe they are, um, you know, in treatment, they have uh, depression and um, they, they want to come into work uh, late, right? Request a reasonable accommodation because it's tough to get out, to get it out of the bed in the morning or something along those lines, you know, giving you an example. Um, yeah. They would like, there's a lot of risk disclosing that in the interview process. A lot of research on, there's a lot more stigma around invisible disabilities. There's a lot more stigma around disabilities that um, you got for a reason where folks could like blame you for it, like drunk driving, right? Like uh, someone who's born and needs a wheelchair is they're looked at differently than someone who like uh, gets it later in life from, from drinking and driving. So it's risky, but you got to create a, an area of psychological safety. And I get why folks want, don't want to disclose. Yeah. Um, Unless they have to, you know. I mean, that that yeah. stigmatiz stigmatization is is a major component, and what we often talk about uh, the future of work, or you know, what's coming next. What what does uh, people with how, how does this impact people with disability, and how can people analytics better uh, accommodate people with disability? Yeah, no, this is a great question, Scott. I think um, you know, again, coming back to my point of like disability isn't a monolith. The pandemic has affected and disproportionately affected people with disabilities a lot. And, you know, on its face, remote work, you know, looks like, hey, you know, transportation issues and, and yeah. getting to work can be an issue for people with disabilities. Remote work can be a great saving grace for that. That's true. But it also kind of presents a lot of other issues that we may not necessarily be aware of. Um, like, uh, you know, how many of us have emailed a PDF around, right, or um, shared their screen on a Zoom? without sending the PowerPoint deck ahead of time. If somebody has a visual impairment and they're trying to read that, a PDF is wildly inaccessible and uh, really? sharing your screen. Oh yeah, yeah. That's something that I learned. Yeah, how so? Yeah, so uh, it's just not like uh, a lot of the PDFs, like you remember those articles we used to read in grad school? It's like somebody like put them in a photocopier and you have to like, <laughs> oh, print yeah, them off, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So the screen reader software can't read them. Oh, um, gotcha. Yeah. So it just creates a, a host of issues. Man, I could tell you, I've learned so much uh, in the last few years around this. Like, again, coming back to this idea that like disability is a monolith, there are, I, I feel like I'm constantly learning stuff, right? Just because I am disabled doesn't mean I speak for everybody with a disability. No, well, no. And like, as an able bodied person, I, I don't even it doesn't even register to me. I don't even right, think right. about it. You know, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't even, I wouldn't even consider it. It's like, Oh, I'm going to send a uh, photocopy PDF and everyone's going to read it and go on their life. Or like, uh, Hey, look at this slide, you know, this graph right here, you don't have to, you know, I don't have to say anything. It's, you know, you can tell what it is. Some people may not be able to do that. Right. Especially if you're like on a big town hall or something like that, you know, mm. um, where the chances that you're going to have somebody uh, with a visual impairment, who needs that screen reading software, you may exclude them from that, un, you know, unnecessarily. I think a lot of that's just, you know, nobody's like wakes up in the morning. Well, maybe some people do, but most people don't wake up in the morning and say, ha, 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 how can I discriminate against people with disabilities today? Right? <laughs> like I have one, I'm still learning. And I think we need a lot more compassion and understanding in this space 
to actually make progress and build allies and things like that. When I think about compassion is, is a really powerful word, Mike, and, you know, I, I imagine many of our listeners are probably like, you know, Scott and I, you've already taught us a few things just in this phone call that I wasn't aware of. How, how have you, you said, and you said you've tried to be, become educated in this space. Like, are there some resources out there that you have found helpful that maybe we could share with our audience if they were interested in learning more? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I'm part of a committee on, in PSYOP um, called uh, DIAC, Disability Inclusion and Advocacy Committee. And they have some great resources out there. Uh, There's some great researchers, researchers in the field. Um, you know, uh, Christine Nitrauer at Texas Tech, uh, Alicia Santuzzi, you know, I've worked closely with them, Ludmila Praslova. She's great too, uh, at Vanguard University um, on the West Coast. Uh, they're all part of DIAC. There's so many more I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting, but you know, they're great uh, resources as well. Um, there's, you know, it just, uh, I, I would also encourage folks to, you know, I mean, for me personally, like developing relationships um, with people with disabilities and getting to know those folks, uh, man, it's been awesome. It's been great. You know, I, I don't, you know, you got to be careful though, right? You don't want to be like, hey, you want to be my friend and teach me everything about people with disabilities? <laughs> like, you know, there's definitely a, a right way to do that. But I think uh, kind of being open and, and willing to learn and humble and not coming at it like, hey, I'm, I'm inclusive. I, I work in DEI. I know everything. You know, that's not, that's kind of not the attitude. So what have. I hear you say is like, don't be a weirdo. Like, yeah. don't make yeah, friends don't a with weirdo. a person with disabilities differently than you'd make friends with a nor like you know someone else i love it well like from like a network analysis perspective like it's all about exposure to other folks and like that creates uh behavioral norm etc yeah. so i mean just talking to folks get to know just them. talking to folks and and on the flip side of that too right like as someone with a disability if somebody uses like i'll say like ableist language or something like that or makes a bad joke, what do you think is going to be more effective? You think me yelling in their face in a meeting or like mm. condescending to them? Or do you think me pulling them aside saying, hey, man, like, you know, when you made that joke about, you know, uh, that wheelchair joke or whatever, uh, you know, that's, you know, that could really, that could really be off-putting to somebody because there may not have been anybody in there within a wheelchair, but chances are, they have someone in their family who is, and it, you know, may not be the best like look. Right. And it's kind of, kind of a jerk move to do something like that. And I feel Mike, like that I, I've kind been of stuff mean, goes along way. Yeah. I've been mean, I've been mean to talk to you, Mike, about all the yelling you've been doing to me and Scott, you know, <laughs> since that seems like the pathway that you've chosen of educating us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My bad guys. I sometimes yeah. I just struggle with following my own advice. I, I totally derailed the conversation a while ago with uh, my uh, tangent on the PDF. But, you know, it's going back to like the future of work, like what kind of like future technologies like AI or, you know, ML, does this help? Yeah. No. Um, does it hurt? It's, or it's is it one, both? Yeah. yeah. Well, we got to be really careful. Um, I'm going to link you guys to the EEOC uh, statement on the use of AI and, and how it relates to the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act. DIAC is actually working with SIAP to release a statement as well. Um, uh, you, maybe you can put it in the show notes or something like that, but it's, um, we'll definitely it's do dangerous, right? It's dangerous. Um, if you like think dangerous, about... like fire is dangerous or dangerous, like 
dangerous. You like know, you could a nuclear somebody. bomb is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not not to the scale of a nuclear bomb, but uh, it could like impact somebody's well being, you know, or their livelihood, right? If you think about like a high stakes election or, or yeah. something along those lines. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the most common accommodations that are requested is extra time on a test, right? And um, especially in academia. And if you have a, an assessment that uses time as a variable um, without the ability to request yeah. a reasonable accommodation, you could potentially be, um, you know, disparately impacting people with disabilities. Uh, the same thing goes for selection assessments that aren't like enabled for screen readers. Um, if you have ableism embedded into your performance management system, um, or, you know, generally let's talk like bias, right? Like just bias. Um, you could, if you're using that performance measure as your criterion for some kind of AI, then that AI is also going to have bias and ableism embedded in it. You know, it's kind of like the criterion problem affecting people with disabilities. Most likely that bias is also going to affect a lot of other groups because, you know, rarely is someone mm -hmm. just like one thing, right? There's the complexity of human identity is, is pretty, um, it's pretty dense. And I, I, I think I see kind of that evolving as well, because a lot of companies were, were looking at diversity a little myopically, in my opinion. Um, we may just, have to define myopic for our audience. We're we're not the most educated. <laughs> well, I googled I googled that word before I got on the show to sound smart. So um, you know, there. Hopefully, hopefully it passed. But uh, yeah, I, I think, think I, I think you're hitting on like major things of just like uh, ML research that you're only as good as your training sample, etc. But I, I think of things like uh, automated resume screening. That would probably be a really positive benefit to people with disabilities but you know i don't know if you guys have ever been like uh into one of these like automated video screening tools who knows what the heck they are doing with that information yeah like i mean i have a very practical example that i kind of want to go in my soapbox about this because when it happened this was a few years ago and it really i don't want to like disclose relevant details here because i don't want to identify anybody but i was working with a pretty prominent video interviewing platform who was using machine learning as a mm -hmm. way of scoring the interviews. And our, our, one of our key stakeholders internally had a very visible disability. Um, and we asked the question on their behalf saying, if this person was to go through this you know, process to interview for the job, can you assure me with your scoring output and your algorithm that they would not be disaffected by this data? And they hemmed and hawed and, you know, well, we're not sure. I was like, well, because I, I mean, I know how these machine learning algorithms work. You would need to create different classifiers to be put in place to make sure that you're removing this type of potential bias from the data of saying, hey, this is a visible disability. This is a video interviewing platform that's per, you know, per their own marketing materials, saying that they're looking into things like micro expressions and stuff like that. A person who has a visible disability may be not able to engage in those micro expressions the way that another person may be able to do. How are you going to accommodate that? And I was not met with very promising responses. And, and frankly, it infuriated me at the time because they were like saying, well, that they were basically trying to classify that as measurement error. 
And if that one human being, if that (laughs) one human being was disaffected by this, it really wouldn't matter in a mass hiring uh, context. But that's that's the point as far as I'm concerned. I'm sure you you share this, Mike, is that it matters to that person. And and those are the especially if it's systematic, where let's say they were using that type of video interviewing at every company. You know, they're going to experience this at every single organization they apply to. And so it's just fundamentally baked in and unfair. I don't know. I'll, I'll stop and get off my soapbox here for a second. But that really infuriated me at the time. No, preach, brother. I mean, we've been saying that for years. Uh, I think that that's uh, absolutely it, you hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, imagine being someone uh, who's who has a stroke, who had a stroke and can't um, you know, one side of their face has nerve damage or something like that. Mm. Like they would be negatively impacted by that software um even kind of even more simple than that like a personality assessment that isn't properly validated you know they could be inappropriately picking up on things like anxiety and and depression right and we call that what like construct contamination well if it's disparately impacting those people with disabilities that's a problem i'm going in the way back machine here for a minute i may be speaking out of turn but i remember the, the talk uh, in graduate school about the differences between assessments used for um, for kind of professional context and assessments used in a clinical context, and that there's very different laws and things that are in place if it's deemed a clinical assessment. And so you, you absolutely, if, if, you know, for audience members here, if you're using some type of assessment, you need to make sure that you're assessing what's appropriate or not. One hundred percent. Mic dropper. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Done. Well, Mike, I actually did want to. Like, do you mind if we kind of go back to your history here for a second? Yeah, go for um, it. Because I also saw you worked in a juvenile detention center. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm yeah. sure you you have some stories about that as well that you might want to share. Man, I got to tell you, that was probably the coolest job I've ever had. I love that gig. I started off in counseling psychology. I think like a like a lot of folks who start off in psychology uh, that thinking that that's basically it, right? If you, if you're going to be in psychology, you got to be a therapist. Um, and I got into, uh, you know, a master's program, uh, got my master's worked at a juvenile detention center for a little bit, uh, providing like intelligence testing and, and uh, mental health therapy to juveniles who had been charged with a crime and were awaiting trial. Um, and it was great. It was, I mean, anything from, I, it felt rewarding, right? I loved it. Very individual, very one-on-one. Uh, anybody from, you know, hey, I pulled the fire alarm at school and got arrested <laughs> to murder. Uh, so it was a pretty wide variance of, of you know, folks in there. Oh, yeah. Um, but it, it just, you know, it was, uh, man, I just felt, I, I felt like the burnout coming like a freight train. I mean, not only are you underpaid and under-resourced, but you just have an up-close and personal seat to all the systemic issues in the country, right? I mean, I remember looking around one day and just being like, man, there are like, there are like no white kids in here. That's weird. Like there, this is a, this is not the the demographic representative of the demographics of this county. I wonder what's going on here. Um, The under-resourcing of, you know, I I tell folks this, but like when I, when I had the, when I was coming to, to Louisiana Tech, to start a grad program, it was between that and a job offer from this detention center. And um, the only thing that they could offer was $12 an hour. Uh, and that was for 20 hours a week. And they wanted you really there for like 40 if you wanted to get your hours. So you're really looking at like $6 an hour with no benefits. 
so it was it was like a pretty easy choice <laughs> to keep right. going. But uh, but yeah, I mean, in IO, I think we have a lot of uh, power to kind of affect systemic change um, within organizations, uh, and that's that really attracted me a lot to um, to to that field. And I think there's a lot of opportunity, especially around the measurement um, around like uh, diversity and inclusion uh, going forward, right? I mean, a lot of companies they look at it uh, like I said, a little myopically, a little bit um, a little bit uh, oversimplified. It's like male or female, and then some kind of like ethnic diversity or like racial diversity or something along those lines. Um, so like, what about women of color, right? What about white men with disabilities? You know, I'm te- technically like in a lot of companies, I don't qualify or I, I don't fall under like a, a diverse status. Like that representation is a trap. And I get it, right? You got to start somewhere. We don't have the data around disability yet. It's much more difficult to get mm-hmm. that data. Um, and you got to do something, right? I'm not saying that we got to like stop measuring that stuff that we're measuring now, but, um, but yeah, uh, I think we got to do, we got to challenge ourselves and do a little bit of a better job moving yeah, forward. I, like knowing you for several years, I, I really think that your experience in this uh, juvenile detention center, your counseling experience, et cetera, has paid off immensely as your skill as an IO. You're able to have these tough conversations. You're able to uh, relate to people on a very, very personal level. And uh, you're just an excellent communicator as well. And a fun guy. Dude, you're going to make me blush, man, or yeah. cry or something. Stop. Well, uh, you're handsome. You're a good looking dude. <laughs> yeah, Cole's, Cole's got the best hair, though. I mean, like, look at him. Yeah. Whatever. Now, now we're just, now we know we're live. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, hey, man, you want to uh, sit tight while we uh, talk about some uh, nerd stuff in the nerdery? Weigh yeah. In. Yeah, I'm in, and man. Join us on. in the nerdery. The nerdery. Love the nerdery. Well, I got a couple different uh, articles for you, and I, I maybe Cole has one as well. But uh, since we were just talking about DNI efforts, uh, the McChrystal Group conducted a network analysis study. Granted, it's only just one company. So uh, one data point, but essentially they found that uh, there's gender differences in perceptions of inclusion, and it's based on one predominant factor, and that is access to information. Uh, so, so okay. what what they they found some like overarching themes that we've seen in the uh, uh, literature before. So uh, men and women tend to form different clusters, this sort of thing. But the the interesting thing they found was men tend to form relationships uh, for instrumental reasons. So it's very kind of quick, weak ties, get information, get out, et cetera. Women tend to form stickier relationships, so longer lasting sort of relationships, and that's how they acquire information. But when it came to uh, perceptions of inclusion, both men and women who said that they had access, for inform- access to information rated the inclusion of the company high, but only women who uh, said that they had low access to information rated inclusion low. So this has implications for how we actually measure uh, DNI effort. When I wonder, because I I've seen research in the past about the role of network analysis and things like onboarding and its relationship to inclusion, because mm-hmm. I feel like when I I'm probably not using the right network language here, but so forgive me. But I think about like getting people to have the right channels of communication to find either whether it be relationships information, networks, mentorship, whatever it may be, 
And I feel like that it's kind of like a domino effect where it really starts early and it kind of compounds throughout your career. And so like a small change at the beginning could have lasting changes later is like, are there ways that organizations can, I don't know, affect those channels in any way, Scott, that you know of? So you're hitting on a bunch of different things here. So like one, a lot of DNI efforts are focused on just uh, basic demographic cuts. That doesn't really get at inclusion at all. That just gets at diversity metrics, right? How diverse is our, but inclusion is about people actually talking to one another. Like we talked about earlier with uh, getting to know disabled folks, et cetera. Um, yeah, yelling at people, you know. Yelling right? at people. Like Mike, Mike's going to yell at us here on it. Um, but it, this, this coincides with other things around mentoring and getting people promoted. So women tend to form uh, more horizontal networks across uh, the employee spectrum, while men tend to form vertical networks. So when you're going up for promotion in a lot of companies, they don't even take people at your same level as input into your promotion process. Only people with vertical sort of uh, above you in the organization yeah. can provide input. So this creates a real problem for getting ahead. Yeah, it does. I get in my mind immediately goes to, you know, what do we do about that? You know, like how, how, how can we make that be different? Like, is it programmatic? Is it training? Like what, what, what do we do? I mean, it's, it's a good question. It's like you're it, it, at some level, it feels like you're fighting mother nature, right? Yeah. I don't know, Mike, any thoughts about this? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a tough one. It feels like I wonder how much of that is happening like naturally, right? Where people are gravitating towards folks who are like them and sharing knowledge with folks who are similar to them. And, you know, maybe it comes back to getting outside of your immediate circle and, you know, getting to know folks who don't look like you or have a different background than you, being really intentional about that and aware of it. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a silver bullet to to fixing that issue. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the perfect answer. So what you're hitting on is this concept of homophily. So birds of a feather flock together. Like you're more apt to connect with someone who is like you. If you're a male, more likely to connect with a male. Female, more likely to connect with a female. But to get access to information, particularly novel information that you're not aware of, you need to go outside your group, forget male or female, but any sort of group, be it uh, along racial lines, along uh, even like departmental lines. If you know a bunch of people in IT, go to marketing because they're going to provide you new information that you don't know in other groups. Yeah, so and it can't, you, it can't all be on the, the person who's, who doesn't have access to that information, right? I think it's, it's yes. on the folks who are a part of that majority group. To, to help out where they can, right? Like it's up to me to make sure that, you know, women are not excluded on my team or, or in my extended team or, or, or things along those lines. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good transition, Mike, to the, the other article we had to talk about today, which I think I sent it over to you earlier. Um, it was called Count Me In and Count My Impact mm -hmm. about people metrics with people with disabilities. What role just, you know, we don't have to get into all the details of the article, but I think kind of the thesis behind it is, you know, metrics playing a big role in making sure that people do feel that inclusion and that they're actually not just, not just seen, but heard. I don't know. What, what's, your, what's your perspective on that? 
Yeah, I think we definitely need to do a better job about tracking all of that stuff. Um, I know that it's tough from, like, especially like just with disability, um, a lot of that can be like HIPAA. And then if you're a global company, you know, good luck getting GDPR, getting that past GDPR. So it really kind of has to be like a self-identification if you actually want to like cut that data and look at it um, based on uh, different groups. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we need to get better at tracking these, like what is, what is inclusion, right? I think Scott, mm-hmm. like you, you, you define, I think you defined it really well. It's like, it's like talking to people, making people like feel like they're a part of the group and including them, um, not to use the word to define the, the word, but, uh, <laughs> embedded, embedded. yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, um, you know, what does that mean? We got to get really tight on that and it has to be actionable. Um, but I'm, you know, it's at this point, people got to get that diverse organizations are perform better, right? I mean, there's, yeah. there's like the DEI top 50 or whatever outperforms the S&P 500 like every year. I mean, we got to do, it's crazy to me that, that leaders still don't get this. Like this is going to, you know, this isn't just like to make everybody feel good. That should be enough of a reason, but it also will make you money. <laughs> Yeah, it literally does not pay to be uh, stick inside your own bubble. And the main reason for this is because you come up with better ideas, more diverse ideas, and you can hit on different areas that are coming up next that you wouldn't get to if you were just stuck in your own echo chamber. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about it if you're developing a selection assessment, right? I mean, you want a voice of somebody with a disability on that team to make sure that you avoid those pitfalls because that's that's... I mean, think about the lawsuit on that if it if it does discriminate against uh, people with disabilities. And that shouldn't be your motivation, right? I mean, motivation shouldn't be, how can I, be- I'm only going to do this to avoid a negative outcome. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's got to be a little bit of a positive intent there too. But um, no, I, I keep coming back to this word, like in relationship to like inclusion and like, you know, how do you treat people? It's just community. Like mm-hmm. we're all in the community together, yeah. you know, treat people it. like human beings and like, it's like, why would you kind of the point from earlier, like, why would you when you're trying to make friends with a person with disabilities that you would treat them differently than somebody else? It just doesn't make any sense if you're all in the same community. I don't know. Yeah. Or or like, um, you know, if you're an ally and and going back to like the the yelling. Right. I mean, I sometimes DE and I I don't know if you guys have noticed, but like sometimes DE and I can be used as a weapon to make like to make people feel bad. I feel like it's can it can come from a place of condescension like oh it's like a moralistic stance or something yeah right like oh cool you used this word oh you don't obviously you don't know anything about like disability inclusion it's like that (laughs) how does that help anybody you know what i mean that just makes you feel better about yourself all you're doing is trying to make that person feel like an ass and then all they're gonna do is dig their heels in you know i mean that's just not an effective approach to me I think it's well, a hey, good do, you, do you mind if we switch to our gossip segment, Scott? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, okay. We'll, I read all about this guy. I read all about this guy. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm actually, uh, I'm going to send this to him too, because I'm trying to get him to come on the podcast. Like, I wanted to talk about it. Um, so just to set the scene for everybody, um, there's a guy, and I don't think he minds me naming him here, because we usually don't name people, but his name's Ben Taylor. And he's been posting about, his escapade with a data robot and him leaving that organization. So I don't really understand all the ins and outs of it, but essentially probably maybe even two months ago now, 
um, he posted something about like how these executives who might be leaving the organization were kind of paying themselves out money uh, before they were, you know, about to lose a bunch of money or something like that. And so employees were going to be hurt, but these ex executives were going to get out scot-free. And he thought that that was very immoral and wrong and probably illegal in some ways. And so I think even the popular press has been bringing it up, but he's been posting on LinkedIn about everything that's been happening since then at one point, and I'll even link to it. He shared his resume for future employers on LinkedIn. It got over a million views. <laughs> like, like he put his resume out there. It's like wow. wild. He's been traveling all over the world. I've been texting with him like, dude, you need to come on here and tell your story because it, it actually, it seems like, like a movie script almost about like what's been going on. So Ben Taylor, if you're out there, come join us on the podcast. We'd love to have <laughs> you because uh, you're kind of like, it's almost like he's live tweeting on LinkedIn, everything that's going on. It's been fascinating to follow if you guys haven't been following it. No, yeah. I, uh, when you sent the, uh, you know, the the link over, I, I took a look at the the drama unfolding online. And I got to say, man, I respect the move. I mean, hundred percent respect the move. That's a that's a stand. That is a stand that he took. Well, and lots of times when people take a stand, it's like, you know, they jump on the grenade and the grenade blows up. You know, yeah. <laughs> but it, in this case, I I actually think like he's got a fighting chance to come out of this really really ahead, and so I'm I'm rooting for you for you ben if you're listening yeah um i don't know scott have you followed this at all i i, just, I, I like bringing some gossip into this i i have been out of touch with this story but i have heard about it uh from the periphery from my network uh boy you gotta love a whistleblower especially when they're fighting for the good fight right <laughs> oh yeah when, when oh, you're yeah. right when you're right you're right there seems to be a lot of that going on these days like the facebook person that took all that uh internal research about that they knew Instagram was like bad for kids. And um, there's a lot more like uh, uh, almost like corporate activism going on these days. Did y'all see that Patagonia's uh, uh, founder or CEO or whatever just signed off the company to a trust and all of the profits are, are going to get donated to um, uh, like uh, green initiatives and things like that. Have not oh. seen that. Yeah. It's like a hundred million dollars a year. Uh, it's, it's wild. It's like uh one of the biggest uh, examples of billionaire philanthropy in recent memory. Well, I think that since yeah. I've moved to Seattle, I've bought about a hundred million dollars worth of Patagonia gear. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like all I own is high quality product. High quality, man. <laughs> Nothing but the best for you, Scott. Nothing but the best. I, I didn't imagine. Like I thought that, I just had this perception of people in Seattle when I moved here. It's like, oh, you're wearing like flannel and all this shit just because like it's like stylish. Like, no, it, it's just super functional. It's like everything you need here is uh, kind of uh, outdoor gear. Yeah, flannel's great so, material. Don't sleep on flannel. REI and Patagonia, the two stores I go to all the time. Well, well as we kind of wrap up here, I, I think, uh, Scott, you have some good news to share. Uh, I'm pretty proud of you. Uh, what, what happened to you? Oh. Man, <laughs> I was trying to think of something funny there. I couldn't think of anything. Uh, <laughs> I got promoted. Very good. Congrats. Congratulations. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you to both of you. Uh, I give all the credit to the podcast. It was it was all us. You know, the podcast. All my haters can suck it. You know, <laughs> go totally scorched earth here. No, yeah. no, it's it's a great it's a great deal, and it's a it's a huge credit to uh, my teammates and you know the people I work with. Um, 
to you know all, all the support and like just really really cool research that we've been doing hopefully i'll be able to share some of it at psyop because like especially along like the network analytic lines we're doing some i'm doing some just absolutely groundbreaking stuff i hope it can be disseminated someday hope so awesome, too man, man. when I, I was at hr tech the conference in vegas this week and scott don't get jealous i recorded two live podcasts with people just in in room uh the, the, yeah just cheating on you man but i always come back <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm a good man you know um but it, anyway it, it was a lot of fun and um i don't know well maybe maybe we just we call it a day here and um mike dr mike not i should say doctor my apologies um thank you so much for joining us uh scott i'll hand it to you and then mike i want to give you the last word um, absolutely which, like I'll, you know i'll uh i don't know mike what do you have like a soundcloud to promote anything like that uh no not dropping another album for a while so uh, <laughs> no worries there hot new beats well cool well mike thanks so much for joining us i feel like i learned a lot today and totally. hopefully our audience will feel the same all right and we'll we'll fucking figure out what the name is for our audience that's what point. i was gonna say man look guys thank you so much for having me appreciate it but figure out that name all right i want to know what the fan club is going to be called okay well you could i mean you're you listen to the podcast don't you i listen i've listened to every episode at least half of every episode <laughs> at least half. That's better until, than until, yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that's better yeah that's better than most people but uh I think I feel like you have every right as anybody to to come up with the name. So if you have something you really like, let us know, and we'll just start spamming people with it. We'll we'll get a group thread going, man. I'm not a good like pitch guy, you know. Like I don't pitch well. Uh, not I'm not wired like that. So you're just gonna have to you're just gonna have to you know react to it. Just go for it. Okay. Did you say directies earlier? Directies. Direct directies was directies? the first word that came to my mind, and that just didn't work for me. Um, yeah. yeah. It was a swing yeah. and a miss. I wanted to start off with like a terrible pitch and then maybe work out to where like, you know, correlates or outliers. That's the one I thought would be cool. But also like, I don't know. It, I don't know. I'm getting self-conscious about it now. <laughs> <laughs> Correlate. Don't blush, please. Well, hey, you've been listening to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Anytime.